The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies with Ed Meyer. With the weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, Ed Meyer. And good evening. Welcome to Winning Ponies. I'm your host, Ed Meyer, and thank you for taking your time to join us this evening as we talk about these Sport of Kings. Off last week, back in the saddle. Good to be heard. Good to have you aboard. Thanks for tuning in again. Winning Ponies off and running in 2011. Over $446,000 in winning exotic predictions and growing with each and every race. And that is literally literally the truth. That's a tough word. New additional stats, and this is what I really like now. At your disposal to help you win detailed stats. I love the numbers. That's funny. Math was never my strong suit. As a kid, but growing up, I've learned to appreciate and see the power in the stats. But they have detailed stats about runners, trainers, riders, and how they do at meets on specific surfaces. And as a tandem together, very important. It's nice to know when a rider, you know, does 48% in the money on polytrack. It's nice to know when he teams up with a trainer, they're 63% in the money. They're 29% a winner. Winning Ponies has this for you. In addition to the color-coded tiers, all you got to do is just roll your mouse right over it, and there it is at your disposal. Easy, very easy, and very handy. This stuff is what the winners are made of, and it's what the winners are using, and it is yours for the taking, so check it out, www.winningponies.com. What's happening tonight? We're going to do a little recap of last week, a little stakes around the graded stakes. I'm just going to stick to the graded stakes the $20,000 stakes, they get a little tough because there's 9,000 of them. But greatest stakes recap, in case you missed it, I missed it. Biggins, we're going to talk about how Winning Ponies is doing. And a little story to get you whistle-wetted. Get us started. We're going to kick it off that way. Tonight's first guest is one of the most respected professional gamblers in the country, Vice President of the Horse Players Association of North America, Hannah. Man committed to making racing better, Mr. Mike Maloney, is going to be joining us. Very engaging gentleman, and I mean gentleman. Very nice guy. Next on deck after that will be a good friend of mine, writer for the Daily Racing Forum, chart caller for Echo Base, racing official at many tracks, Mr. John Patrick McDoolin will be joining us. Max always a good guy to take down some of his uh, insights from. Then we'll do some news from the world of racing, a little bit of final furlong handicapping. So we've got a full docket. As usual, it's always a lot of fun, and, in fact, you can always tune in or drop us an email. I always like to read a little something sweet, and you can always check out our site because we uh, dish out some free selections. I'll probably, you know what, I'm kind of in the mood to zap some out. I actually had a nice nice horse that was 9-1-1 to one and one last week, and I got it off the stats page. Got it off the stats page. 
So, had a couple winners. Had a couple winners in a third, and that was out of three selections. Not bad. So, you know, I, I kind of feel that there's going to be a little bit of a uh, little, little bit of some free selections for tomorrow. So, you're going to want to check those out. So, let's talk about uh, last weekend's stakes result. It is the Palace Birdie Grade Two at Santa Anita, hundred fifty thousand dollars up for grabs. Euro Ears goes to the winner circle by two and a quarter lengths. Mike Smith in the irons for Bullet Bob Baffert, seven-year-old horse. The Colonel E.R. Bradley, grade three at Fairgrounds. Value of the race, $99,000. A mile of 16 on the weeds. Grant Astrino wins by a length and a quarter. Rosie Nepradman for Mike Stidham. I did see the race. Very nice indeed. The Toboggan Stakes, grade three at Aqueduct, which I believe Aqueduct's they're getting a little dose of snow by about now. $98,000 in the toboggan up for grabs. Calabrocha is the winner by a half a length. Ramon Dominguez on fire for Todd Pletcher, the Todd squad in full effect in New York. And Lecomp Stakes, grade three at Fairgrounds, $96,000 up for grabs. Going a mile and 40. Wilkinson. I had Wilkinson in a little online contest, and boy, this is a nice run at three to one. Garrett Gogo Gomez for Neil Howard wins by a dirty head over pants on fire. Actually, I think mine were because I couldn't believe Wilkinson actually got up in the shadow of the wire, but Wilkinson, nice run indeed, wins by a sweet little head. Talking about the biggins, Friday, January 21st, there were 65 total biggins leading the pack. Sam Houston, race number one, a superfecta, 4,782.20. Pretty good shooting, Sam Houston. That is correct. Pretty good shooting, Sam Houston. A little play on words there. January 22nd on a Saturday, 80 total biggins. Louisiana Downs, race number five, a superfecta key, $9,673.60. Saturday, January 23rd, 67 total biggins. Sunland Park, race one, a super box, $6,094 even. Monday, January 24th, 14 total biggins. Penn National, the penitentiary. Race number two, a superfecta key, $1,456.20. Tuesday, January 25th, 34 total big in Sunland Park again. In race three, a superfecta key, $4,930.60. Wednesday, January 26th, 25 total big whopping winners. And this is a whopper here. Portland Meadows races six through nine. Yep, that's a pick for $13,820 if you were aboard. Hopefully you were. Gulfstream Park Race 5, a Superfecta, 3,354.40. So those are the biggins, and when I say the biggins, hopefully you were aboard. So we've had a recap. We've talked about biggins. So right now the, the exotic predictions are $454,382. I believe I, I cut it just a hair short, but that's what happens when you turn your back. It just grows each and every race. Got some friends out in Vegas, NHC 12 at a glance, the finals of the 12th annual Daily Racing Forum NTRA Handicapping Championship. They're out there Friday and Saturday, 28th and 29th of January. The Red Rock Resort will host the fourth straight year. 304 players from 110 qualifying tournaments at 50 NTRA member tracks, OTBs, casinos, websites. Very nice indeed. And they fight for the title of 2010 Handicapper of the Year. And I'm going to tell you what, it is smoking players. They're going to make 15 mythical $2 win and place wagers. They cap it at $42 to win, 22 for the place end. Now, get a load of the prize. This is pretty sweet here. Grand prize. First off, there's a million dollars to fight for. Grand prize is $500,000. Second is $150,000. Third is 100000 
Fourth is 50. Fifth place, 35. Sixth through 10, 27. Thousand seven hundred fifty dollars down to twelve thousand. Eleven through nineteenth, eight thousand down to twenty five hundred. Twentieth through thirtieth, two thousand dollars a piece. That is NHC twelve. Good luck to my friends, Robert Forbeck, David Turner, and Brian Feldman. They are out there. Actually, popped a little blogging about them. You can check that out if you wish. Good luck, fellas. It is one of the. It, it, you actually have feel like you've arrived. And uh, there's going to be a gentleman that's going to be joining us here, and uh, he will enlighten us about what it is to actually, actually call racing your game. And he, he's a man of the industry, and I think you're going to enjoy when, uh, when we have our special guest of the week, uh, Mr. Mike Maloney. He's going to be doing any minute. We're going to grab him after the break. But a little story to wet your whistle. This kind of caught my eye about Omar Marino. And, yep, if you remember the name, it's because Omar Marino – was actually the Apprentice Rider of the Year. And it says, and this is from the Edmonton Journal. It really, Kamai, is something that, uh, you know, it makes us take, take more of just uh, a person than just to being a good rider. It said most of his family narrowly escaped the horrors of civil war to become one of Canada's top jockeys. And, in fact, he is a nice runner. Born in the middle of a civil war, which racked and tore apart his home of El Salvador in Central America, Omar Marino always seemed to be on the move running and hiding from one place to another, often faster than his five-year-old feet would take him. His grandmother, aunt, and, and, and uh, his five brothers kept moving and, and forever heading north. His mother, uh, Marino's mother, was, uh, she was shot and killed of one of the 75,000 people killed in the Civil War, and, or she would have been right up there with him as well. And through the shattering blast of the exploding bombs and the whizzing of the bullets, Marino's job was to fetch the fruit off the lily pads so his family could eat. So from a little time on, you know, Omar Marino was, uh, he was, he was doing a yeoman's work. He was doing man's work as, as, a, as a little boy. It said one thing, it didn't sit right. He said he could never understand why his father kept changing his name. He didn't know they were hiding out. And, you know, it, as, as you kind of read along, it kind of grabs you a bit. It, his family is made up of farmers, but still not feeling safe. Omar's father had the brothers build a house in the jungle from nothing. They were all young, and they pulled their own weight, and they survived by living off the land, eventually making his way to Canada. Already voted Canada's top apprentice in 2009, an award he's sure to repeat again this year. Sometimes it feels like he's just dreaming, he said. It's, of course, no illusion. He rode 146 winners last year, fifth best in Woodbine jockey standings. His mounts earned almost... $5.5 million to three of his wins coming in stakes, and there's nothing like an Eclipse Award. Omar Marino, what a gentleman. I tell you, I was really kind of taken by him. And uh, actually, if you get the time to take a peek at it, you can always check this out on Equidaily.com. It's really one of the uh, one of the holds where you can catch some of the great stories. And it's in the Edmonton Journal. It's about Omar Marino. I, I would say if you, if you want a good read, read the rest of that, and I think you're going to really enjoy it. Here's another fellow. Now, at first I thought it was my dad they were talking about, but nope. It's called the Zodiac Horse Player. It said when 305 horse players converge. And by the way, this is Bill Finley, who uh, does a tremendous job, special to ESPN.com. 305 horse players converge on the Red Rock later this week. There is a gentleman. There is a gentleman, Frank Jakubowski. He couldn't care less about the best speed figures. Who moves up on the slop? Trainers. He's going to be more interested on whether or not if it's Pisces ascending or what Mercury, Venus, and Mars are up to. 
this is the first time I've ever heard of anything like this. This is Jabowski. Listen, Oakland, he's 79 years old. He's a retiree. Been playing horses for 10 years. He started out like most with a racing form and determined to beat the game with uh, non-traditional methods. But now he, <laughs> he doesn't pick horses, he said. I pick positions. For instance, the race number and the horse number, I look at certain relationships between astrology, numbers, and letters. And after all his research coming up and done, he said he does not conclude anything. And he said he couldn't tell you that blame was going to be Zenyatta. But he says it is in the stars. He does a lot of research. And he's one of the oldest players to qualify for the championship. I wish him nothing but the best of luck. But the reason I throw it out there, there are some players out there that subscribe to data services that are, oh, they're mega money per month. And there's other people that they're mega money per day. This gentleman here, it's what Venus, the moon, the stars, the ocean. Frank, take it down. I hope you take down. You are now, in my heart, the Zodiac horse player. That's by Bill Finley in, uh, from ESPN.com. Really like that. And here, this kind of caught me here right before we head out to break the 10 best horse racing movies. And I disagree with it completely. Number one was National Velvet. Two, Seabiscuit. Number three, The Black Stallion. Four, Black Gold. Five, Hidago. Six, Secretariat. Seven, Sugar. Eight, Dreamer. Nine, On the Nose. Ten, Is Dead Heat. Did anyone hear the, the, the movie Let It Ride? Did anyone hear the movie Let It Ride? How about Casey Shadow? Where's Casey Shadow in there? And then there's one, there's a little darker movie called Boots Malone. And you're going to have to, but you know what? I had to read this. I had to throw it out there. And I, how about Far Lap? There's another one. It just goes on and on. It's right there in my face. But I think Casey Shadow brings tears to my eyes. Actually, we had Randy Romero on. And he did talk a bit about that. I really enjoyed that. Let It Ride is one of those, if you're feeling bad, Definitely buckle down with Let It Ride, and you'll feel a whole lot better. Well, it is time to head into our first break, and when we return, we are going to be chatting with a true gentleman of horse racing, Vice President of Hannah, Mr. Mike Maloney is going to be joining us here on Winning Ponies. Your internet flagship station for sports... America Sports. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of Horstradamus, handicapper extraordinaire with the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. It's all Arizona, all over the world. If you're a local Arizona high school sports fan or if you're a transplanted fan somewhere else in the world, have we got a show for you. The first Internet sports radio talk show focusing solely on high school sports is The Coach's Corner with Scott Lovely. Tune in to talk about your favorite teams, players, or coaches. It's 100% Arizona high school sports coverage and a little bit more. Tune in Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern to the Voice America Sports Channel. 
We some hard hitters. We some hard hitters. Hard hitting radio is a new kind of sports and entertainment show. Your hosts are NFL veterans Mark McMillan and co-host Byron Evans. It's an hour of hater-free radio every week. You'll hear interviews with top athletes, celebrities, coaches, and fans. It's humor, hits, and conversation. Hard hitting radio is on with McMillan and Evans. Listen Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Network. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, Ed Meyer. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with Ed or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to ed at winningponies.com. Now back to Winning Ponies with Ed Meyer. And welcome back once again to Winning Ponies. Thank you for taking your time to join us on this Thursday evening. Depending on what side of the coast you're on, it's either 20 after 8 or 20 after 5. But, you know, by about this age, you should know which coast, left or right, you're on. So I'm going to leave that one up to you and the math up to you as well. Joining us is a true gentleman of racing. He's vice president of Hannah and possibly one of the one of the most known gamblers in the state of Kentucky, if not the entire country at all times. And he is a voice of racing. He's practically on every panel and quoted in many magazines. Mr. Mike Maloney. Mike, are you there? I'm here, Ed. Good to be with you. Oh, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. And, and moreover, thank you for taking time away from uh, betting some of the nighttime signals. That's right. I'm, uh, I'm not exactly burning it up tonight, so you may be saving me money, Ed. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, we, we appreciate you taking your time. Uh, r- racing, Mike, for you is, is, a, is a great part of your life. It's, uh, it's not just a, a Saturday hobby for, for an hour. Would you mind telling our listeners a bit about how you became interested in the Sport of Kings? Sure. Uh, you know, it's a common story. You, you're, my dad was a horse player, uh, not professionally, but he loved going to the track. And he was and, and is an excellent handicapper. He's 82 years old, uh, <laughs> and he still goes to the track uh, quite often, and, and, he, and he still knows how to pick a winner. Uh, <laughs> he took me to Miles Park uh, in Louisville when I was eight or nine years old. Uh, picked a couple of winners. Uh, Leroy Cousin was riding in, and uh, you know I was just caught immediately by the bug, and uh, you know enjoyed the races. Uh, he taught me how to handicap. Became more and more involved in it. Uh, you know, then you pick your first winner, and then you have your first good day, and you know one thing leads to another, and the next thing you know, it's you really have the bug. So uh, uh, I got involved very early. Uh, it took a long, long time before. I was able to approach, you know, breaking even or something years and years. But uh, I learned my lessons and, uh, you know, tried to learn from my dad, but tried to learn from from people I'd meet around the track. I grew up, I cut my teeth at Keeneland and Churchill Downs, River Downs, Old Latonia. And, uh, you know, just always trying to keep my eyes open, trying to learn something once in a while. And eventually if you uh you know if you're diligent about it and if you work at it 
eventually you're picking up enough uh, up enough angles and enough ideas to uh, to get better. And 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 uh, you know when I approached that point, I, I worked all this time. I was a small businessman, and uh, about twelve years ago, um, I made a, a deal with my wife, who's a very understanding lady. That uh, if I could make money as a sideline at the racetrack for three years, then we would consider getting rid of our business and and uh, me being a professional horse player. So I was able to do the three year deal and uh, started 12 years ago playing horses full time. And so far, I've been able to uh, you know to make a living at it and uh, haven't had to go back to the straight life so far. <laughs> and and hopefully not anytime soon because it's it's always a pleasure to read all the the articles there was a magnificent article in horseplayer magazine you've been in blood horse practically every panel you speak at the symposium if correct me if i'm wrong in any part of this mike you name it uh, as far as you being out there you know uh, you're actually you're right in the forefront but I, but before we go any further i have to ask you the five cent question your professors in college want to know how many classes did you ditch to actually go to the track? You know, uh, not that many. I was, uh, you know, I pretty much tried to stay within the rules as much as I could. I, I would uh, set my classes up to where I could get away as much <laughs> as I could. I loved to go to Turfway and, and Rotonia then, and I would, you know, get uh, get a lot of Monday and Wednesday classes. So then uh, Tuesday and Thursday I was I was loose, and, and every other Friday I was eligible to go. So, I, you know, that was the first thing I would do is, is, you know, figure out how what's the best way to set up the schedule in order to get me to the track. And actually I – you know, I got kicked out of a class in high school, like a lot of us did for reading the racing form, uh, <laughs> and I got uh, reprimanded in uh, in college. I went, I graduated from Eastern Kentucky University here in Richmond, and uh, I got uh, a professor in a in a statistics class that uh, told you know caught me with the form during his lecture and told me he needed to see me immediately after the lecture, and then it turned out that that he was a horse player and a small time breeder, so. Uh, we got along fine. He became my advisor after that, and uh, I took every class I could from him. He was a, you know, he was a good guy and, a, and loved the horses. That that is a great story. He became your advisor in school, and you became his advisor at the track. It, it was a, it was a mutual understanding. But you know, I, I like it that you said you you kept a straight and narrow path. But I have to say that uh, I I spent a little bit of time arranging my classes the same so I could make it to Keeneland. Mike, jumping right into the meat of the action, you're a man on the scene in racing, and the public is starting to take notice of the word percentages and takeouts. And for many years. Players just were, were uninformed, uneducated, and didn't watch it as closely. Could you explain to our listeners the importance of why players must pay attention to a takeout percentage? Well, it, it, you know, the takeout is the, is the cost of your wager, and it directly impacts your bottom line. So the higher takeout that you're playing into it, it you know, the tougher it is for you to, to make any money. And I think that's all of our goals, you know, we're not all playing as a profession. We're not all, you know, a lot of us are, are hopefully drawing a paycheck besides coming to the track. But, but I think it's, it's kind of how we judge ourselves, uh, most serious horse players, is, you know, how often you win or can you win over, over the long term? Can you win for a given year? Uh, you know, it's very hard to do. Very few people can do that, and it took me forever to do it. And you know it's a goal of a lot of players. And if if you will will shop for takeout 
and be a smart consumer regarding takeout, uh, why pay more than we have to? You know, it, it's uh, it's something I think all horse players should look at, and I think more horse players are. Uh, I think the tracks, you know, for years they have just kind of, you know, charged whatever they wanted, and and there's never been a backlash from the players and. And, um, you know, most players even today don't really know the takeout of a lot of bets. If you went around and polled players, you know, a, a lot of people wouldn't know what the takeout is. But in today's world where you have so much competition for the gaming dollar, even players that don't know what the takeout is, they know how long their money lasts. If they come to the track with $100 or they come to track with $200, they know how long that lasts on a given day. You know, they know how many bets they can make. They know how long they can play on that on average. And you can you contrast that with how long you can play for the same amount of money at a casino or betting ball games. And you can, you know, that's where racing comes up short. So, you know, that's the kind of thing where, you know, it, it hurts racing to have high takeouts even when its players don't exactly know the takeout. All they know, all some players know is, you know, I get a lot of action betting ball games. I get a lot of action at the casino. Uh, I get a lot of action playing blackjack. And I get a lot less action when I go to the horse races. And, you know, so they don't come as often. And, and racing loses out. And that's, you know, that that's my main push with takeouts is, is yeah, I want to get things as cheap as I can. But I also think it's good for the game. I think everyone in racing, tracks, horsemen, the, the you know the state's coffers every everyone the players also everyone would be better off if we had a more reasonable competitive takeout i think we you know any business has to be competitive uh pricing wise with it, with the other competition out there and and right now racing is not I think as a business model, that only makes sense uh, from a player's perspective. Uh, I'd like to see it at a more equitable rate. Uh, I was using as the $100 rule, and if there's a 20% takeout, if you do the math, uh, there was once a, once a line from a, a Vegas movie, you can play longer, which means you can just stick around longer before you go broke. But even if you're holding your own and you're, you're a little below par, the takeout itself will take your bankroll. Yes. If, you make, if, if, you're, if you're playing at a 20% takeout and you make, three bets you know you run say you bring a hundred dollars to the track and you run that through three times if you're the average player you know you've got 50 bucks left so you know if you do that at a five percent takeout at a casino and you run it through three times you know you might have 86 87 dollars left instead of 50 so you know it's a huge difference and and you know i think the racing's leaders need to need to address that I agree completely, and there's been many times you've spoken from the symposium and many panels. And Hannah, you, by the way, you're the vice president of Hannah. Uh, could you give us a, a little insight into your, your your duties of Hannah? And when you actually speak before panels and when you talked about takeouts, uh, you know what what are you trying to not necessarily drive home, but what are you trying to inform the racetrack and management and and actually players that are listening and watching? Well, you know. It, 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 with Hannah, we're talking about a lot of different uh, different things. Uh, Hannah has four main planks, and, and anyone that that is interested in Hannah, and I hope some of you will be by by the time we get finished tonight. Uh, our web address is horseplayersassociation.org, and we have a, a I think a really neat website. There's a lot of information on there. 
we we talk about what we are for, what we're against, and there's also a lot of helpful information for betters on there. For instance, we have a, a grid that will tell you the takeout on every bet, every bet type at every track in North America, which is, is, is very handy. Uh, there's a lot of information on there regarding uh, different studies that have been done in the in- industry regarding takeout, regarding medication. Uh, so there's a lot of information on the site, and, uh, you know, I encourage everyone to go there and just look around. Membership is free, and, uh, you know, we would love to have, you know, have anyone out there listening that thinks racing can be improved. We would love to have you as a member. But while we're talking about Hannah, we have four main uh, boards to our platform, and and the first is to secure the tote system. Uh, that's something that I've been involved with for several years. All of us remember the the Breeders' Cup scandal in 2002. Uh, a lot of the problems that led to the 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 near theft of of the biggest pool on racing's biggest day are are still there. You know, there's been a lot of lip service in the industry, but the tote is still seriously flawed. Uh, once again, yesterday we had a problem at, at uh, with Turf Paradise's first race. Uh, the betters at uh, Santa Anita Park, the windows were open five minutes after the race started. So three and a half minutes after the race was over, windows were still open on that race at Santa Anita. So just another example of the serious problems that exist within the tote system. The industry does a hell of a job of sweeping it under the rug and keeping us from knowing how bad it really is but you know there there are instances after instances every year of things that leak out or things that players report that we find out about that just illustrate how bad the toad is so that's the first thing that hannah tries to deal with is we encourage industry to to spend the money to to put in a secure state-of-the-art toad system where we wouldn't have odds changing in the middle of the race or in the top of the stretch where, uh, you know, when the, when the gates open, the final odds would be posted and we wouldn't have to deal with all that. The second thing that Hannah is, is all about is open access to signals. We don't want to see all this infighting among tracks to where, uh, twin spires, for example, might withhold a signal from the certain ADW. So there are players out there that they have their money deposited with an ADW, but they can't play the signal they want to play. They're, they're locked out of that track for a certain amount of time. So that's the second thing that, that, that we try to address is we, we don't think racing should be set up that way. We think the, the industry should have more consideration for the player than to put the player in that situation. The third, the third thing is uniform medication rules across the country. Uh, you know, we, we think that the, the medication rules should be uniform and they should be stricter. They should be easy to understand for the trainers, not confusing as they are now, and that there should be some teeth in those rules, and they should be set up to deter cheating. Um, that when someone is a repeat offender, uh, that they should be dealt with severely, and you know maybe three strikes and you're out after a certain length of time, a certain number of infractions, you should just be eliminated from the game. And the fourth main plank that we have is is that racing needs reasonable takeout levels in order to grow and in, in order to be the best game that it can be. So those are the four main things that Hannah stands for, Ed. Well, those are four very important tenets. And if you're a fan of uh, of any any nature, I, I think that, you know, 
this is a, a bit of a more cerebral game. You're not plunking down on a color or a number. If you can count to 21, hopefully you can play blackjack, which is a whole lot more than that. But if you actually want to educate yourself, while you were chatting, I pulled up the site, and it is incredible. I've, I've looked at it before. It's very easy to get to. Horse Players Association of North America, when we were referring to Hannah. Mike, uh, playersboycott.org, can you tell us a bit more about that? I can. Um, <clears throat> that playersboycott.org is, is, um, is, a, uh, is, a, is a nationwide boycott that, uh, uh, against the California racing. And uh, what we are are protesting is the really the um, uh, the audacity, I guess, um, of the decision by the California Racing Board a few months ago to initiate a nine and a half percent increase in the exacta takeout. And a fourteen and a half percent increase in the trifecta takeout, uh, or in the three horse wagers. So uh, uh, we thought that that was uh, was exorbitant. It was the wrong thing to do. Hannah attended the California racing meetings. Uh, some of our members, matter of fact, our president Jeff Platt uh, spoke at those meetings. He brought spreadsheets. He cited studies that were paid for by the industry, the Cummins uh, study for one, that the industry had paid for itself that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars that advised, all these studies advised basically the same thing, that takeout, the optimum takeout level was a lot lower than the 20% that a lot of the tracks were charging. Well, California Racing Board chose to totally ignore that and, and gave... Hannah and other, you know, horse players, very little time to speak, basically didn't want to hear what we had to say and chose to raise those takeouts at, at those very high levels. And, uh, uh, you know, we felt like we had no choice. But, you know, when you know, we're the customer and California Racing basically says, we don't care what you think. Here's what we're going to do to you. Here's what we'll give you, and you'll like it, and you'll take it and like you always have. And we just felt that was a point where we needed to draw the line. And uh, it's not that California has the highest takeouts in the country. They don't. But And a lot of people don't understand that. They say, why are you boycotting California when New York has higher exotic takeouts, like uh, Superfect or Trifecta? They have lower uh, exactly takeouts in New York, but why are you doing that? And the reason is, is because California is the most recent venue to make a substantial takeout hike. And I think that any jurisdiction in the future that chooses to not listen to their players, that chooses to try to raise prices dramatically on their players in a tough economic environment like this will face the same type of, uh, response that players are what Hannah has over 1500 members and hopefully after tonight a few people out there will join us and we'll have a few more as we grow we're going to have more of a voice and it you know it's not that we're trying to get the tracks to put them out of business or make them lose money that's not our purpose we we feel sure that a reasonable takeout that there's an optimum takeout level where everyone wins where more money is bet, where tracks make more, horsemen make more, 
and and players have a better chance to win. It's just like blackjack. There's an optimum takeout level in blackjack, and there's an optimum takeout level in all casino games. And Las Vegas is smart enough, the casinos are smart enough, that they find that optimum takeout level. You don't see a lot of different pricing among casinos. That's because they know they've studied it, and they know what the optimum pricing point is. And once they find it, that's the price of that game, and it stays there. That's what racing needs to do is we need to find that optimum pricing point, and the boycott is all about waking waking California racing up and getting them to take a hard look at what they've done because we think it's wrong. I'm very pleased when you said collective voice. Now, that, that is the $2 player. That's players of your caliber. That's the computer groups that are coming together. And as you said, you're growing in strength, not as a bullying unit, but just as a collective voice to protect and police our game, that, that hopefully they're getting some feedback, some important feedback from players, uh, from, from the $2 player to the person that is a professional daily horse player, that they understand and our voice are being heard. I think Hannah is incredibly important in, in that respect. And that's a great point, Ed. Uh, that's something I should have mentioned, that we are – most of our members, the vast majority of our members, are $2 betters, and, and that's the heart of the industry. And we, you know, we want to represent that viewpoint. We want to represent all horse players. So I encourage anyone out there, you know, don't think that, that we're an organization that if you don't bet the kind of money that I bet, that, that it's not for you. That's not the case at all. What we want to do is be the voice for all horse players to you know to get the ear of the industry and 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 eventually what we would like is is to have a seat at the table in the industry to not only have a voice but we picture down the road that there will be qualified horse players on racing commissions and there'll be qualified horse players that are members of industry committees that are making decisions about the future of racing we think that that that's only common sense that that educated players qualified people that know racing, that know gambling, that know what the customers want, we think it's only common sense that they would be great additions to racing commissions and industry panels. It pleases me greatly when I read your name, uh, uh, speaking at a symposium and or someone from your organization addressing issues, because I know the voice of the player is being heard. Whether or not they act on it immediately could be to their own detriment, but I, I believe that that is so important. And, you know, Mike, dovetailing right on the back side of that is the IRS. It's always been an itch on my back, and uh, they've played Big Brother per se, and they've kind of handcuffed players with the tax rates on winning tickets. Uh, first, you, you face a, a takeout, which can be high, depending on which, which circuit or oval that you play, and, you know, that can send you home early, one. And, two, now that you've had a big winning uh, payday here, now you have to face Big Brother and this, the money that is actually taken out from the, the IRS could have been actually money that was left on the table at the windows and could actually assist and help the handle grow. That's right, Ed. The, the, the takeout, the, I'm sorry, the withholding rules from the IRS concerning horse players are very unfair. Uh, they really make no sense. Uh, I wrote a white paper years ago. I think it's still on the NTRA website. And I you know, I, being a small businessman, I was in the antique and furniture business, and I said it'd be the same thing that when I sold a when I made a five thousand dollar sale, that 
you know, that I would have to uh, send seventeen hundred dollars of that sale to the federal government, and 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 they may keep it for a year, or they may keep it for eighteen months until I have a chance to get part of it back. Well, you know, that would destroy my business. I I would have no cash flow. I would borrow money from the banks, but I couldn't run a business that way. You know, eventually that just it, it becomes a burden that you can't that you can't hold up under. So, but that's exactly if you're a professional horse player, that's exactly what you're you know required to do. They they want you to keep records, and they want all horse players to keep records when you're winning. When you may, when you hit an IRS ticket or a sign up ticket, they require you to do the same things that a business has to do to keep the records, to keep the logs, and to bring that all into them. But they don't treat you like a business on the other end. They don't allow you to to use your 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 cash flow. They want to take that from you, and it and it's very unfair. There's been a lot of uh, discussion. I've worked with the NTRA for years. We started this in about 2003, um, lobbying uh, state legislators, lobbying lobbying federal legislators. Now it's gotten to the point where there have been actual conversations with the IRS at very high levels, and I, you know. I'm hoping, I feel fairly confident that we're close to getting something done with the IRS that will give horse players some relief in this area. I hesitate to say for sure because you know how these things go when you're dealing with, with the IRS. But I, I feel, you know, fairly confident from what I know that, that, you know, sometime in the, you know, in the, in the near future that we will get some relief from, from those uh, unfair rules. Once again, that collective voice being heard, and, and, and I'm very excited about the future where that stands. Mike, uh, as, in, in regard to the future as an industry, are, are we making up any ground, or, or can we expect more, more dark days ahead of us? Well, I, I, I try to be an optimist, Ed, but, you know, I don't, you know, I don't really like what I see. Uh, there's such a disconnect you know, between you and I talking and probably a lot of horse players out there listening tonight, there's a such a disconnect between us and what we see, the real life that we see at the racetrack every day, and what the people that run this industry think. You know, but there's a, uh, you know, I think that's our biggest problem is a lot of racetracks are owned by, you know, by large corporations. A lot of racetracks are being run with the main focus being on the next quarterly report, uh, not the long-term best interest of racing. I, I, you know, I think it's very hard to take good common-sense ideas like these pricing ideas that we're talking about and get those initiated at a, you know, at a major racetrack today because, um, you know, there's just so many impediments in your way and the, there's such a corporate mentality and such a short-term profit corporate corporate mentality you know racing's problems need to be addressed long term and and we need to think about the future we need to think about investing in a state-of-the-art tote system and we need to think about our pricing uh you know we need to think about we have the fold crop here in kentucky has, has decreased dramatically in the last two years since we've had the economic downturn we need to think about the repercussions of that how you know how is that going to translate into field size at the races three years from now? There's a lot of things that I see uh, as potential problems, or I, you know, and some of those things we have solutions for that I feel strongly that they would the solutions are are viable and they would work. But getting 
the ear of the right people and getting someone in racing management that's willing to take a long-term approach and do something that's 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 long-term good for the game and long-term good for their business it's very hard sometimes and that's what really concerns me about where we are right now because i you know i don't know if i see that changing i just there this disconnect is the biggest problem in racing to me is is there's one set of ideas that in a boardroom at a racetrack and it doesn't necessarily translate to the real world that we all see at the racetrack every day it's going to be one valiant effort uh, for that daunting task to, to overcome, but I'm optimistic that we have the right people in your organization uh, and many other organizations heading heading that up, and that pleases me greatly as a player. Mike, it is that time where I like to round it up with something called Fast Five Questions. It's like Jeopardy without the money. That's what I tell everyone, so don't expect a check in the mail. And these are just five uh, bullet questions. There's no right or wrong answers. First thing that pops in your head, and uh, sometimes it's yes or no, sometimes it's a little explanation, but are you ready, sir? I am ready. Put your seatbelt on. Here we go. Question number one, what's your favorite track to play? Churchill Downs. Churchill Downs. I would have, I would have bet a nickel on Keeneland, but uh, Churchill Downs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Two, can racing attract a younger audience to build for the future? Yes, but we need to price the product properly in order to do so. Fair, a fair answer, I should say, and uh, for a very tough question. Question three. For players out there, should they narrow their focus to certain circuits or be open to races everywhere? Be open to races everywhere for angle plays, but you need to know one circuit very, uh, you know, you need to know the fine points of one circuit for sure. Stick to your knitting. Question number four. Season players, such as myself, and, and I'm just saying player, not winner, we need all the advice we can. Can you lift us up uh, and help us with our game? If we could focus on one thing, and just to help us out, one thing to make us a better handicapper, what could it be? I would say pay attention to pace. Learn, learn your circuit. Learn, uh, learn what pace means at your circuit. Learn at each distance what the variables are, and know that like the back of your hand. Final question. In 10 years, will racing be alive and surviving, or could it be hearing the final rights being given? It'll be alive and surviving because there's too many tough nuts like you and me, Ed, that love it. <laughs> that I'll always be with you on, and, uh, and I'm very pleased to hear that. that. That makes me very happy. Mike, on behalf of Winning Ponies, we'd like to thank you for your insights and, and all of your wonderful explanation on everything in horse racing. It's, it's such an intricate game. It's simple but yet easy. It, like they say on the, uh, the World Series of Poker, that takes five minutes to learn and a lifetime to master, and, and you've definitely brought a, a lot of light on this subject. We wish you and yours the best on and off the track and good luck my friend and best of luck with hannah thanks ed i'll see you at river downs this summer if not before yes sir thank you mike that's been mr Bye. mike maloney professional horse player and quite a gentleman of racing speaking of gentlemen we're going to jump right into him mr john patrick McDoolin is on the line john are you there i'm here how you doing it thank you john uh we are glad to get you back up in action here. Uh, casino companies, uh, they, they purchased everything in Ohio. Uh, are you seeing anything uh, as of yet? I mean, I, it's, it's way early. Are there any subtle changes? Are you hearing anything resonate through the state of Ohio, the Buckeye State, which had nothing, but now it's Casino Central? Well, you know, uh, one of the things that I heard, uh, and I, I don't know if you – I know I've talked to you about it, but uh, – uh, 
a, a good friend that I worked with for 10 years um, is now the head of the HPPA, uh, the executive director. And one of the first things when Penn Gaming bought uh, Beulah Park, he said, now you're going to hear um, you're gonna hear rumors that the license is going to be moved. And he said that's totally – he went to school with the guy at Penn, and he knew that uh, – you know, so he's known the guy forever, and he said, uh, you know, it, it's not going to happen. They're not going to move the move the Beulah license. It's a possibility that the Raceway license could be moved, but uh, the Beulah license is not going to be moved, and that's going to be something that comes up right away, which, you know, and, and I've heard that in the last two weeks. People are calling and asking me, and I, I, three months ago I knew that that was going to come up, so. Well, as no, a columnist good. for the Daily Racing Forum, you, you tend to know things quite a bit uh, further out than we do, and, and, I, and I love your articles. You cover Indiana, Ohio, and, and you cover the industry very well. So you're saying we, we could be closing up Columbus for, for Beulah? No, no. That, that was, uh, that was oh. the Dave, Dave told me months ago, and, and I saw the rumor the other day, that, that uh, they were going to sell the license. I guess these new guys uh, want to open a track in Toledo and, and – uh, so the rumor was that the license was going to move from Beulah and they were going to take it to Toledo or sell it to these people in Toledo, and that's not going to happen. Um, if any license gets moved or sold, it'll be the one for Raceway Park. Um, uh, Beulah's going to stay where it is, and, and I love that, it. like I said, three, three, three months ago I knew that was going to come up. They, they warned me of that at the beginning, so... And now you stand warned as as the public. You've heard it from the columnist from the Daily Racing Forum, John Patrick McDoolin. Johnny Boy, the Buckeye State, no alternative gaming last year. They voted it in. We're going to have freestanding. We're going to possibly possibly have VLTs at all the tracks if they pass here. And uh, do you envision Ohio being a, a big national player? You know, I don't know about a national player, but I, I think we'll survive. You know, kind of like Indiana. Um, I write for Indiana and Pennsylvania. Both of them have uh, have uh, games there. Um, and uh, Pennsylvania, Prescott Downs, I write for there. They have 2,000 machines. Um, Indiana Downs and Hoosier Park both have 2,000 machines. Um, from what they're talking about in Ohio, if uh, if we start having machines, it'll be 2,500. So you can just imagine the, the, the added income. Um, the one thing is, you know, when I think slot machines, I think you know pull pull the arm down slot machines. But if I don't know, have you been to to uh, either of the tracks in Indiana or yes. at Prescott? Yeah, not Prescott, but both in Indiana. Yeah, and they and they have. I mean, there's there's they they call them slot machines, or, or you know, it's the same thing. But I mean, they, they have a virtual uh, blackjack, and they have virtual roulette, and they have virtual everything, basically. Okay. So. I mean, yeah, and so you you think of it as as a slot machine, but it's it's really not. I mean, they've got it's pretty much a full casino, and and I think you know it started in uh, West Virginia and and yeah, pretty much everywhere. They start with the slot machines, and it's just a matter of time. They did the same thing at Prescott. It was a matter of time. They started with slot machines, and two years later, they have a full blown casino. It's just it's just a stepping stone uh, to get their foot in the door, and then people go, oh yeah, this isn't so bad. So. Um, <laughs> That's Baby kind of what happens, and, and you know, it's a great thing for racing. It's just a matter of, you know, the one big thing right now is in both uh, Pennsylvania and Indiana is these legislatures think, um, okay, well, there's all this money and it's going to the racetrack. Well, what if we cut back on that, and, and then we can take some money out of that and, and go into the general fund, and that's kind of 
where it is right now, and that's kind of the upsetting thing is, you know, these guys make these deals, and, you know, they need money, and so they want to go back on the deals, and, and they're taking money out of racing, which, you know, uh, that's just the way it goes, I guess. Racing uh, is, gets the uh, gets what's left over from the other pups that are uh, that are suckling away, but you know nothing is new to that. We're getting kind of used to that. And I apologize for leaving out Pennsylvania out of your Ballywick, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and uh, in Indiana, and all of which you do quite well for the daily racing form. You're also a chart caller for Equibase. You've called races. You do call races. And, uh, and, and and you even handicap when you actually have a little bit of time. Mac, I, I mean, uh, it, oh, excuse me, uh, you, you've been stakes coordinator, you've been racing a fish. How in the hell do you find time to even have a beer? Well, you know, there's always time for a beer, Ed. I'm of uh, <laughs> Irish ancestry, and uh, that's just kind of the way it goes. Um, did, did you look at any of the races for this weekend at all? You know, I was going to I was going to depend greatly upon yourself. I you know, I was going to wait uh, for the as I always call it, what's up, Mac? And then I usually get a little schooling and uh and that's what I'm waiting for right now. Mac, the floor is yours. We got about 5 minutes. Well, you know, we got the Sunshine Sunshine Millions at at uh, Santa Anita and Gulfstream this weekend, mm-hmm. which will be a lot of fun, but the the Forgo is is also a Turfway Park and uh yeah, there there's a lot of small Aqueduct's got a couple small uh, stake races, but did you look at the forego at all? It, it it seems to me that ten should uh, should romp. I don't know. Did did you get time to look I, at I, it? I do. I do agree. I, I glanced at, I glanced at Turfway just a bit, but but I kept as you alluded to earlier about the uh, Sunshine Millions. I kept focusing back on that because I I think that's going to be the the premier uh, look for for Saturday. Yeah, there's there's no doubt about it. Um, and then also Sunday, um, Santa Anita has got a couple big races Sunday. I looked at the uh, and, and also uh, Gulfstream's got the, the, uh, the Ford, yeah, the Ford Gal on. Uh, is that on Sunday? The Ford Gal is that what I'm looking at right or not? I, Mac, you're, I'll tell you what. If, if you say it, it's right. But I kept thinking for some reason I kept thinking I had the Holy Bull. Maybe maybe my clock's a little off. I, I can be a little. It, it could be me. Hey, uh, the the Ford Gal, I. Think is a seven furlong uh, uh, filly race for three year olds on uh, on Sunday at Gulfstream, and and there's a horse in there that uh, she's won four in a row, Devilish Lady. I, I I don't see any way in the world they'll beat her, which is kind of she she was claimed for sixteen thousand. It, it called her back in September, and uh, she's done nothing but win since they've got her. She uh, won a couple restricted races down there, and um, uh, she's won like uh, I don't know couple hundred thousand and she's a three-year-old so and i expect her to win again with daniel centino on her she won the last two at tampa bay downs um by nine and six and a quarter both stake races they were they were seventy thousand dollar stake races but um at the same distance and she's two for two at the distance um she's a heck of a racehorse and he's a heck of a rider he actually graced our airwaves uh a few weeks back and uh Seems very focused. <laughs> Seems very focused. Yeah. He's very. He's ultra dangerous down there. So uh, he was at he was at uh, Prescott Downs all all uh, mm-hmm. summer too. So he, he alluded yeah, to that. He's that writer. He said he, he enjoyed going up there, but uh, I, I think Tampa is his home. And boy, does he know that track inside and out. Mac, the Sunshine Millions is, does anything really you know kind of trap you, or did or, or are they just are they just competitive races? 
you know, they're, they're really competitive races, and, and I looked at them, and, and I really can't, you know, it's one of those deals where a day like that, I, you know, I, it's going to be a lot of favorites, and I'm not big on favorites, but. No, you're not. Um, and, and days like that, I'll, I'll try to uh, to bet like pick threes or pick fours or pick sixes and maybe find a, a long shot somewhere in the crowd. But uh, the, the, the one horse I really like was uh, Dinah Sluice. It's uh, 72. Uh, excuse me. It's in the uh, Sunshine Millions uh, Philly Mare Turf. Mm-hmm. Um, she, uh, the last time out in the First Lady at Keelan, didn't do so well. Uh, Seth Benzel trains her. He, you know, he's been doing great. Seventeen uh, percent winner last year. Um, she only won uh, three of six last year, so you know she's not much of a horse. But uh, <laughs> she uh, and, and they were graded races. So um, at Colonial Belmont Saratoga. So um, I'm going to go with Dinah like Slew. It looks that like she runs very, very well off the shelf. Uh, I'm seeing uh, a victory, uh, a victory at Gulfstream uh, last April second, then goes to Colonia, runs a beautiful second, put on the shelf after running in the first lady of Grade One, made a middle move with JJ Castellano. But Abar Co aboard, uh, really, uh, I, I love the way this guy sits, uh, sits especially on on the weeds here. He's a 16% winner on the uh, on the Greensward, and and Benzel, uh, you know, he, he's 44% in the money I, I, in in 2000. Ten. I like your your five year old mare. She's actually two for two in the money, a win and a second. Uh, Mac, I mean, do you think we're going to get seven to two? Uh, I don't think so, but you know, you can always hope. Um, the, the two of them together, uh, Koa and Benzel, were twenty nine percent the last um, or last year, basically, because you know we're not that far into this year. But uh, you know, I, I to me, it looks like her, her race to lose, and um, she's a heck of a race mare. Uh, Five first, four seconds, and fourteen outs. Won three hundred sixty-seven thousand. You know, I, I don't know how they'll beat her. She just uh, looks like that, the one to beat to me. I, I'd love to get seven and two, but I, I think it'll be closer to uh, can we, five can we book two or it? maybe can we book less. It now? You know, and, and I'll tell you what, pairing up with a pick three, I'm going to go one race ahead of you. I like Amen Hallelujah, three to one. Julian Leprue for Dick Dutro. Also, a win in a second from two starts at Gulfstream. Been put on the shelf since the grade one acorn, uh, where she was a beaten favorite, uh, the Champagne Dior. I, I love Amen Hallelujah uh, in that race prior, but then you, you did touch on that. There's a lot of chalk, and, and chalk is abound. Mac, it is time for us to round it up. I apologize for not being able to go a little further, but uh, as usual, we're going to have you more than back on especially as ohio is ever changing yeah hopefully soon that that's uh, that's our goal hopefully soon it'll change yep it is changing and mac with guys like you at the helm hey i don't know where in the heck you find time to have a beer but then like you said you're an irishman so beer is never a problem mac thanks for your time and, and i'll talk to you at the races here soon my friend all right thanks ed you got it. John Patrick McDoolin, man for racing and a good guy. Good guy. back capper there to uh, Mr. Mike Maloney, who uh, who made it quite an exciting night and just a whole lot of fun. Well, time flies when you're talking about thoroughbred racing, and this week was definitely no different. Winning Ponies would like to thank our special guest, Mr. Mike Maloney, Vice President of Hannah's Horse Players Association of North America, Hannah is the abbreviation, and Mr. John Patrick McDoolin from the Daily Racing Forum, Equibase, in many racetracks he works, and John, his selections are always good, his insights are always crisp, and, and I always enjoy having my friend on. So until next week, may your winners be many and your photos be few. Good luck and good night, everyone.
Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with Ed Meyer. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.